to take a Bible now and to open it to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you're using uh, one of the Bibles there provided in the pew, you'll find this on page 936. 2 Timothy chapter 4 on page 936. Uh, One of the ways that I've had the opportunity to prepare for the message today is not just uh, in sitting and being able to read, but what we're about to read is a a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and as far as we know, it's his last word to him. Paul knows that his time is short, and so uh, it is a goodbye letter. So one of the unique things that I feel like uh, God has placed in my life, just even over the last 10 days, is an unusual amount of goodbyes to people. Um, the, the goodness of having uh, each of our missionaries actually present with us uh, over the course uh, of our time in August and here at the beginning of September meant that just in these last seven days was then the opportunity to say goodbye to each of them. And it's always uh, hard to do that. It's always bittersweet. There's the goodness of being together, and then there's that's followed by the uncertainty of not knowing when it will be the next time that we'll be able to be together and enjoy the company of one another. And if that time will be afforded here or in the presence of Jesus, when, when we're scattered so far and wide, those are just uncertainties that remain. And then after uh, the service last week, our family actually traveled to New Jersey uh, for a funeral of one of Amy's uncles. And uh, as we were there at the funeral, as soon as we pulled in on Monday, uh, it, it reminded us of the last funeral that we were at at that very same place uh, for Amy's cousin, this man's son, who died tragically way too young. And it was the same sort of weather. It was a, 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 an evening and rain, uh, dark as we were driving up. And so as we were going to pay our final respects for one person, it was reminding us of the last time that we had paid our final respects to another and so there's uh, been a, a bit of a weightiness in, in those goodbyes and in those uh, paying of final respects. And death has a way of sobering us. And then uh, the news was coming out on Wednesday uh, of the announcement that someone who had uh, reigned for 70 years of life in England, the Queen, was now in her final moments. And there's a sort of a familiarity to often what happens uh, as the initial news was of canceled events and then a family gathering together and then just waiting eventually for the final announcement that she had passed. What we're about to read is the Apostle Paul knowing that his moment is not far away. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, 
and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he has strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit, and grace be with you. And that concludes uh, our reading for this morning. So hopefully uh, it was clear in the reading of it that this is a farewell message. That what Paul was describing in verse 6, that he was already being poured out as a drink offering and recognizing that his time of departure had come, that the Apostle Paul understood that he had very few opportunities to say more, and so that he was bidding farewell in writing. There's a longing that he expresses that if there's a chance to see one another face to face, he says to Timothy, come to me soon. But it has that sense that you need to come soon because he knows that he's not going to be there much longer. And here, uh, we know that there was a close relationship between the two of a mentor and a disciple, a father-like figure to a son. And so we know that in the expression of these uh, final words, uh, that this would be a challenging time uh, for Paul to share them, but also for Timothy to receive them. What a time of uncertainty would be created by the loss of one of the strongest apostles, uh, one of the first missionaries, one of the, uh, the, the hardest working evangelists, that as he is bidding farewell, there'd be all kinds of questions of what would happen next. And so there's a reason that our letter opened by the apostle reminding his young protege that, uh, that God had given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul opened that way because he knew that for Timothy, there, 
there would be naturally fear that would come in the consideration of the loss of somebody so significant, not only in his life personally, but in the life of the church. That what would happen next would now be in question. And so part of Paul's word to him is to say, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that's been given to you, that God is going to be with you in the future. And so that's what he wants to remind him of. And so this is a, a, a precious time, precious words that still would be hard to receive. And not only is it difficult because it's Paul's last words, but he also indicates to us that this is given in extraordinary circumstances that's even larger than just Paul himself. Paul is in prison, we believe, now for the second time in Rome. And at this point, the persecution that has now been experienced by the church is even greater under Nero than it would have been when Paul was the persecutor of the church out of Jerusalem. And so Paul was the persecutor on the early days of the church, and it forced people to flee. But by this time in Paul's life, the persecution is pretty significantly coming from the Roman authorities who control all the courts and all the laws, who direct and command all of the soldiers. And so if now the persecution is coming from the top down, it is quite an extraordinary circumstance. And I won't go into all the details of eventually what that persecution looked like under Nero, except to say that when Paul says, I have been delivered from the lion's mouth, he's not using a metaphor. He's not just referring back to an Old Testament story of a time when somebody was thrown to the lion's. Paul is giving his farewell message to his young protege and disciple in Timothy in extraordinary circumstances that he can acknowledge he has been spared from and he has this sense of confidence that the Lord will rescue him from every evil deed, but it gives a sense that uh, the, the pressure had grown so significantly that even in some of his court proceedings, he says, there was no one who was willing to stand with me. And it reminds us of the time of Jesus, that when uh, the persecution uh, got strong enough and other people around said, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said, nope, nope, not me. You've got the wrong person. Uh, the one who'd proclaimed his loyalty and his faithfulness when the pressure became significant enough became uncertain and unsure of whether he also wanted to identify with someone under such duress. And Paul is getting a little bit of a glimpse of this as the persecution is increasing. Verse 16, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. There's empathy on his part. There's almost like the language of Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Or the kindness of Jesus to come to Peter afterwards and to ask him three times, do you love me? Yes, I do. Do you really love me? Yes, I do. When he had denied him that many times. And so here the apostle is, is recognizing this is a, an extraordinary time. 
and it's causing a lot of us to struggle. And one of the responses to this message will be that others will come in and come in with a totally different message that will appeal to the passions and to the emotions of the people and who will figure out some way to make the cost of discipleship less costly. <laughs> who will say, ah, we don't have to quite be in such sort of conflict with Caesar. I know we proclaim Jesus as Lord and there is no Lord but him and so we do not worship Caesar but that seems to be causing us a lot of trouble and so really we can just acknowledge both of them, we can worship both of them and serve them and we don't have to create such uh, difficult circumstances and other things like that and the Apostle Paul knows that some people will respond to the pressure by compromising the message and so he says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and so Paul knows that this is going to increase, but that he himself is not going to be around to continue to write and to continue to preach. So just imagine the, the, the varieties of emotion that are going through the heart of Paul and Timothy as they're reading this. Receiving or writing this farewell message in this extraordinary time. It reminded me of a phrase that I read recently in a, a book that was deeply moving to me. Uh, I just read a book called Everything Sad is Untrue. Uh, and it's a great story of a, of a family that immigrated from Iran to Oklahoma, and it was kind of written from the perspective of a middle schooler now growing up as a refugee uh, in Oklahoma. And the, the challenges of life for uh, his mother and his sister and himself as he describes all the various experiences and tragedies that they have gone through as a family, and he thinks back of some of the wisdom that he had received in his Persian culture. He said, you know, one of the phrases that uh, one of the, the sages said in our culture is where some people might say that we are a drop in the ocean. And so we are just all a small piece, almost insignificant to a larger reality. We always said, we're the whole ocean in a drop. We're not a small part that is completely insignificant to everything else that is going on. But inside of us is all the mixture and ranges of emotion and tension and thoughts and highs and lows of the world around us. And when I read that phrase, it was just incredibly powerful for me to think of, yes, when I think of both the goodness of the presence of people you love and then the bittersweet reality of those departures and the circumstances around us that challenge all of us and perplex us to say, why is this happening? And why is this going on? And what do we do when it feels like we're actually on the losing team now? That we're not part of the advancing forces, but it feels like we're in retreat. But in both of these things, one of the things that's then realized is that uh, for the Apostle Paul and all the early followers of Jesus, they're following in the pattern as Jesus taught them. He wanted them to have their eyes wide open to the realities and the challenges that were present. And so for some who think that faith is taking a blind step to accept something that we can't ever really see or prove, uh, the scriptures are regularly saying, no, 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 we don't want anybody to close their eyes and just jump in. We want your eyes open. 
We want you to be completely sober as you're looking around and take into account what you're seeing. We're not trying to run from any of it or hide from it. It's real, and it's something that each and every one of us must deal with. But as our eyes are wide open to the, the pain of final farewells and the separation that death brings for each and every one of us, and for the extraordinary circumstances around us. If we keep our eyes wide open, it highlights for us the uniqueness of the gospel message. And so the Apostle Paul uses this language of taking an oath or a vow. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. This phrase, to preach the word, is specifically to preach the good news, to preach the message that we have received. And sometimes that message only comes home to us when we are experiencing the closeness of death. What is unique in what we proclaim? Pharaoh died to never reign again. Solomon died to never reign again. Nebuchadnezzar died to never reign again. Cyrus died to never reign again. Caesar died to never reign again. Christ died to reign forever. There are so many plans that we are watching unfold in our day of seasons of mourning and grief for a royal who has died that is solidifying the sense that you know what nobody expects? A resurrection. All of the plans are being instantly made for someone else to rule and reign. And it's only Jesus who interrupted his own funeral proceedings to say, you can stop mourning. You came here with spices to the tomb to prepare my body further, but you don't have when the two were on the way to Emmaus and grieving what took place. And he said, what are you talking about? He had this unexpected joy to come alongside them and say, the one that you are grieving has died to never reign again, is alive. And because now he lives forever, he reigns And the Apostle Paul knows as bad as Nero is and as intense as the persecution is, Nero will die never to rule and reign and oppress again. But Jesus rules and reigns. And so uh, the Apostle Paul uses this uh, language of taking an oath before him. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing 
and his kingdom. Preach the message that he rules and reigns and will judge the living and the dead, that he will appear again and that of the advancement of his kingdom there will be no end. That's what separates our message from others. That's what highlights the uniqueness of it. There will come a time when you and I will say our farewells and others will or will not carry on the work that we have done after we're gone. And none of us is guaranteed when or how any of that might take place. But the good news of the gospel is that each and every one of us can decide before that day to place our hope in the one who rules and reigns forever. The one who died and rose again, who interrupted his own funeral to say to you and to me, there's hope in this and be ready to proclaim it in season and out of season. Be ready if that needs to be for some a word of reproof and rebuke for those who are ruling unjustly, for those who are perpetuating uh, evil, and they need to know that they're going to stand before Jesus one day. Reprove them, rebuke them with the message of the never-ending kingdom of God, but also exhort, or you could also translate that word encourage, for those who are weary for those who are wondering whether it's really worth it. For those who are wondering, how do we handle this when it seems like the circumstances around us are just quite extraordinary? Encourage them with this word. Lift them up with the good news that he rules and reigns forever. And so this is why Paul can then say in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the good news that you live forever, that all of us now are in your presence. because you defeated death, because you conquered the grave. Because when everyone else struggled to come up with the words of how to defend you or stand by you, that you could reassure them and comfort them in the power of your resurrection with the hope that you offer to each and to every one of us. Father, we pray that you would help us to be ready to receive this word and to share this word in season and out of season. Help it to humble us when we stand proud and we begin to trust in ourselves or that whenever we think that our days will last forever. But Father, you also look down and you see when we're weary and you see when we're tired and we pray that you would lift up and encourage those of us who feel weak, who are tired and exhausted. Help us, all of us, to remember who you are, the uniqueness of what you've done, 
and help us to live in the safety and the assurance that you will ultimately rescue us and bring us safely home. And so we join with the apostle in saying that may the glory be yours forever and ever.